Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. We are open for business once again, recording this on the 15th of January, 2023. I am joined, my name is Justin Lee, and I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Howdy, gentlemen. Hello, everyone. Hello. Yeah. Now, I warn you that um, my skills of oration uh, are somewhat in question today. Yesterday was a great example of that as I started my day by putting two contact lenses into the same eye. So we'll see if I'm a little sharper. Uh, That's just big today. brain thinking. That just means that you can look further out of that eye. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, yes. got That's it. Just... <laughs> well, speaking of clairvoyance, that's something that we are really good if you really flip it in reverse. So <laughs> last week, I mean, in continuing our, our really fantastic oh. tradition, uh, last show we talked about Oakland University basketball, men's basketball team, and how just disappointing and awful they had been doing. And then they reel off five straight wins, um, although they did lose yesterday. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Um, we talked about um, U of M football and how great they were and, and how excited we were for them to beat TCU. Obviously, that didn't go well. Um, so on and so forth. So I think at this point, going forward, we should just end every episode by saying the Lions will never win a Super Bowl and maybe it'll just happen in our lifetimes. It could happen. Really. That's what two, that's what two contact lens thinking gets you. <laughs> yes indeed yes indeed so i guess we'll start with oakland um and um yeah yeah they they as we talked about they were on a really rough stretch um what was it seven eight losses in a row i think it was eight and we talked a lot about the who's and the whys and next thing you know they do manage to reel off five straight wins a couple in pretty convincing fashion as well um eked out a couple and then had a rough uh rough night at home against youngstown state last night 18-0 run and the first half that was no bueno they couldn't come back from it but we saw something very different in that run and um just curious as to your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, in my mind. Um, it's one one reason, and that's a healthy Jalen Moore. I mean, it is yeah. it, it is a night and day difference between the guy uh, that was playing, you know, up till the end of 2022, and the guy that you know has been playing uh, really since the Milwaukee game. He has just looked like he's had that st extra step back, um, you know, in his game, and he's shooting the ball better, and he's getting to the free throw line a lot. Uh, he's been very accurate from the line and just him, him being healthy completely changes the team. Uh, and I think that is, you know, as I've watched the games, that's the biggest thing that I've noticed is that he's healthy. The rest of the offense can click a little bit. Guys are getting open shots. Um, and, you know, Campy has probably what he was envisioning, uh, you know, from the start. And so, you know, off of the back of Jalen Moore and, and, you know, the other guy, you know, Townsend's had some big games too. But off of his back, you basically saw Oakland rip through what I consider to be the upper echelon of the Horizon League, with the exception of Youngstown State. So if you look at Milwaukee, Green Bay, Northern Kentucky, and Wright State, you know, the teams that have made the tournament the last 10 years, you know, those names are going to come up quite a bit. 
And so uh, it was just very gratifying to see. And it's fun to watch them again because it really wasn't. And I think as much as any, they were playing atrocious. Um, and, you know, I'm just happy that they're they're on the right track. A couple of names that we talked about on the last show, Blake Lampman, I think he was, he was injured in a little part of that, that, that streak that they weren't playing very well. He's come back. He appears to be uh, pretty healthy. Uh, the name that we were disappointed in, and he seems to have rated his own ship, uh, from his, at least from my perspective, is Rocket Watts. Um, uh, he seems to be a lot more consistent in what he needs to be doing uh, out in the court. The, I, I, and, and I'll tell you something. I mean, when, when the, if you're an Oakland fan, you know one thing is the, you know, everybody, every team, especially in college sports, you have your house of horrors, right? Um, Northern Kentucky is the house of horrors for this particular team uh, for, for Oakland the last couple of years. And for them to go out and, and where they're at in the season. And again, that was, you know, they had, you know, wink a home uh, against Milwaukee and then Green Bay, but then to be able to go out in the road and beat Northern Kentucky, um, that's where I kind of knew, Maybe and something right is starting to go. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my own uh, vision of version of things. But it always seems like Northern Kentucky is that, that major thorn in the side of this program uh, ever since they joined the Horizon League. And uh, um, I, and Justin, from my standpoint, um, for for them to go out and, and do what they did and be able to write that ship really says a lot. And and. To, to Brandon's point, I can't agree more, um, I, I, and no pun intended, but, uh, um, you know, when, when we heard about Jalen Moore getting, you know, kind of a bad ankle, I was very concerned about what was going to happen. And I think that was what prompted us to have the eulogy uh, be, be had on the last show. Uh, and, and to Brandon's point, he certainly has, obviously must be very healthy on that ankle at this point. Uh, almost a miraculous recovery, especially when you think about ankles, or he's, he's learned how to play with. He's made some sort of adjustment to make things happen, which is probably more accurate than a quote-unquote miracle recovery. So, Yeah, certainly where an ankle's concerned. Um, although even just a little bit of time off could make a big difference. Um, you know, it's not like us old people now where, you know, I step slightly awkwardly and I'm down for three weeks. So, um, you know, so, so a really terrific turnaround there. They're still five and three in conference, seven and 12 overall, which I really don't care about anyway. Um, one game behind, um, you know, Youngstown state who's on top, I think actually a couple teams are. And so here we are, right. We're right back to, Hey, it's anybody's game. Anything could happen. So that's great news. And really the best thing I think we could have hoped for with the program with one caveat that I'm going to throw out. And it's a tired old caveat, but it still applies, is they have no depth. They're basically playing six guys. Well, they're playing seven, but I'll say Price isn't really doing anything. I mean, he's playing 20 minutes, but scoring under five points a game. Um it's basically the top five and Conway most games. Uh, and again, one injury, bad night, etc. And here, here we go again. Yeah. You know, I think the, the fascinating thing, um, and something that actually gave me quite a bit of hope 
uh, beyond where we, because, you know, our, our prediction at the front end was, if you know, as, as Justin said, if they don't have depth, then it's likely going to be the same story that was written the last few years. But in a couple of those games, Chris Conway played over 30 minutes and looked pretty ferocious at times out there. Uh, he had a stretch of three games over 10 points and showed some really, really good inside moves. If they can get more out of him, and his playing time went down the last two games, I don't know why, but if he can become a a 20-minute-a-game guy, that gives them the size. That was a serious, is a serious Achilles heel, which I think we talked about quite a bit on the last show for them. And if his, you know, he's 6'9", 6'10", 250, that is, now you have a presence in the Horizon League where you can free up space for Trey Townsend. You can rebound the ball better and, you know, you might have a shot to, you know, to win a couple of tournament games or maybe go on a run, but they've got to, they've got to get his production up there. You, you know, and I, I would go back and say, it, it, as long as the minutes are being absorbed by price, that will go a lot longer because last year it was just six players. I'll take price being out on the court, maybe and not showing up on the stat line, but if you do, not, not exactly is it linear, but if you look at Price and his minutes and then see the production out of guys like Watts and Lampman and Moore, I think you could almost find a relation is that if, 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 if you're getting those guys off the court long enough to be able to um, uh, just a, at least get a breath, that that's big. Now, I, I I'd, I'd have to look a little further into whether or not there, there's uh because it seems like it, like price is taking more of the minutes from from blocks per, per, per se so uh maybe maybe less of but but at the same time we talked about locks and the need to get him being more productive and even if it's just locks that's more productive because of it that that's good and and, and to your point earlier Justin, you know they had two uh, about eight, nine day stretches where they did not play in mm-hmm. the latter part of December. And you're probably right where that, that eight, nine day stretch was probably went a long way in terms of Jalen Moore specifically being more, um, uh, you know, productive. So for sure. So looking forward, um, what are your thoughts, I guess, over the next, you know, couple months as we grind through um conference schedule what what's what's good enough for them at this point um that's i guess my my only other question because they're gonna go to the horizon tournament unless they completely um bomb um what's good enough you know well, I think if, if if they went maybe 500 the rest of the way, I think that would get them into the conference tournament. My suspicion, though, is that if they can, you know, maintain more Lampman's and Watts's health, um, this team should, as of right now, I don't want to get too positive because then all of a sudden the boomerang happens. Huh. Um, this team and and the, the the one thing that they the, the the thing that they have going for them is a nice nice split of home and away games, right? They have six home games, six away games, right? Uh, and, and they've made their, uh, you know, they do have the big trip up to, uh, up to Wisconsin in, in the middle of February that, you know, it's not the Bahamas, unfortunately, for them. But um, um, but but you, you've you got that on the schedule, right? But, but, but in general, 
I think the good news is that this team seems to have a better idea of who they are, a better identity. Uh, and I think they should be able to go eight and four. And then I think that, that does set them up to, at the very least, go in with momentum into the conference tournament. Obviously, we'll be on um, a few times before that. But but that, that that's my expectation if they maintain their health. Yeah, I'm not as so much concerned about the record. Obviously, the better the record, the better their seed, the better the longer they can delay getting Milwaukee or Youngstown State or Northern Kentucky or whomever. Two things I'm looking for that are good enough for me is finding a seventh guy for the rotation and playing good defense. They do those two things. They are capable of beating any team in the Horizon League on any given night. They have the talent. It's not a question of talent, uh, but they have to find more depth and they have to play good defense consistently. Um, and so, I mean, you know, the game yesterday, the defense was uh, beyond atrocious. Um, you know, a great three-point shooting team, and they were leaving guys open left and right, uh, including Youngstown State has, like, a guy that was shooting 43% for three, and I counted three open three-pointers for him in the first, you know, seven minutes. And it's like, hey, you're not going to win a lot of games uh, if you're doing that. So, um, you know, they've got some hurdles to overcome, you know, you know, one of them being their kind of mismatched roster in terms of, you know, depth and experience. But play defense and, you know, find a seventh guy, Will Shepard, Warren Bowman, I don't know, somebody. Anybody's got to eat up some more minutes. Yep. So Oakland uh, heads on a four-game road swing starting this Thursday against IUPUI. And I, I still have to resist the urge of calling them ooey pooey. Um, and um, yeah, we'll see where things go from there. I'm sure we'll be back on probably um, sometime around the end of that uh, that trip. And they we'll... actually got rid of the last I, I believe, and now that they're, they're UPU, um, which I think is obviously much better from a branding perspective. <laughs> uh, indeed. They should consult us on these things, clearly, and just do the opposite. <laughs> um, all right, moving on in the college athletics world, let's talk about everybody's favorite um, college football team. And um, uh, yeah, that didn't go well. So Michigan, obviously, we had very high hopes. Uh, going into their game against TCU. I mean, they had an amazing season. There's no question about that. Um, but found a way to lose against TCU. And then what made it really worse was <laughs> the championship game where TCU got its rear end handed to them, uh, which would not have happened against Michigan. I, I can't imagine. Um, and I, I, you know, my my funny thought on all of this is there there was one pivotal moment in that game the tcu michigan game um and besides the fact that obviously turning over the ball is bad um trying pick sixes is bad i mean that's 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 clear but the uh, fake field goal um to me right there you know on that opening drive that um that disastrous play on the opening drive is the sort of play that ignites an underdog, in my opinion. Um, if it works, you've put a pin in somebody. Um, but Michigan had the superior team. You kick 
a field goal when you have the superior team. Because you're, as as Brandon, as you've said many times, and you were saying when we were texting back and forth that day, Michigan will grind them down because they will. Um, you don't go for the razzle-dazzle when you can grind a team down. That's my personal philosophy on that. But in any case, what are your observations from that game? From my perspective, I'll, I'll go first. Um, my I, What was very apparent to me was uh, an overwhelming amount of arrogance on the, the part of the Michigan football team. I think they, they thought they were going to walk in and just kind of win because they showed up. Um, I think a lack of preparation. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing, and I, the, the thing I had in the back of my mind as I was watching the game and I had to chuckle because I mean, immediately Georgia did exactly what, I don't know why Michigan refused to do it, but, um, you know, Sexton, you know, the quarterback for um, Sexton Bennett for um, uh, Georgia. I mean, one of the things that he did immediately was run the football, right? I mean, on those first couple of drives, I mean, he, if he had the opportunity, he took the yards and ran with it. Um, I think that, you know, on the uh, with JJ McCarthy, I, I cannot understand the lack of wanting to go ahead and, and use him because he, if you go back and you really watch, you know, especially that, you know, obviously the first half that he did, did finally do it in the second half, there, there was multiple opportunities for him to be able to pick it up. And, 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 but I, and I don't know, I don't know if it was a, um, I, I don't know if the coaching thinks that, I mean, that was something they did all year long, but you would have thought by the time they got to this game, they would have taken advantage, especially against TCU, which I think very much in my mind was very willing to give that up because, but of course, part of that was, I don't think they, they, they thought that they wouldn't do it anyways. Um, I think the other thing, the, the, the one thing I would say about the Michigan, that, that Michigan TCU game, though, that I don't think, I think has been mentioned a lot. If it has, I, I missed it is the fact that um, that secondary of Michigan had not faced uh, the physical wide receivers like TCU had. I mean, those, those wide receivers in TCU are full, full blooming men. I mean, and they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're just absolutely large uh, um, menacing and, and tough wide receivers. And they had not, Michigan had not, encounter that at all during uh, their, their season in, in a lot of ways. And I think lastly, I think that game really showed, um, you know, with, with the Big Ten, I, I think there's only much, so much diversity that you see in terms of offensive game plans. And with the non-conference schedule that Michigan had, which was beyond futile, I think that that really caught up with them in that particular game. But um, Brandon, I, I'm, I'm absolutely been, I mean, we, we, you know, just for reference, I mean, you guys obviously communicate pretty regularly. I do not communicate with either of you outside of this particular game, and I have been looking forward to hearing what your wrap-up of this is. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think a couple things I have in common with your take. I thought the offensive play calling was just dreadful. It was absolutely dreadful. And I think credit to J.J. McCarthy. He made two unbelievably bad throws that cost them 14 points. But credit to him. I mean... He uh, he could be a good quarterback on Sundays uh, if he keeps developing because what you saw from him was an ability to just make plays and it's the reason why Harbaugh made the move. So I mean you know credit credit to both of them on that. I, a slightly different um, a slightly different take on the game. I mean you know I guess the the biggest difference in my mind 
between what Georgia did to TCU and what, what happened with Michigan was that Georgia, you know, beyond the running, which I think is a good point Adam made, the second level, the second tier skill guys. And by that, I mean the guys that are able to get underneath the defense. Because when you're playing a 3-3-5, like you cannot just run the ball straight forward because the linebackers are going to come up and they're going to make a tackle. But if you have guys that can go 7 to 15 yards out and make plays, you're just going to annihilate TCU's defense. And that's exactly what Georgia did. They had the tight ends everywhere. You know, Bennett was making good runs. They were throwing slants. And it just it carved TCU up. They didn't have a chance. You know, and Michigan was without Blake Corum. You know, they lost Luke Schoonmaker early in that game. And, right. you know, they were never all that talented, you know, in that kind of second layer of of offense. Obviously, they were able to throw over the top eventually and all that good stuff. But that, that was something I noticed for long term for the program. Like, you know, Georgia's skill guys made a big difference in that game, even though Michigan you know, scored 45 and all that good stuff. Early on in the game, they could have controlled the ball more had they been able to do that. Um, you know, I. I don't actually have as bad of a take on their secondary. You know, Quentin Johnson had one seventy-six yard touchdown. Other than that, he's under a hundred yards for the game. They only threw for two hundred and twenty-five yards in the game. My thing is like they were just getting absolutely run over by the, the backs. I mean, they ran for almost two hundred and seventy yards. That's where I was like, what in the world is happening? There is no way in hell that this offensive this defensive line should get beaten up by TCU. That that to me is atrocious. Um, and so that was that was really worrisome, you know. Final two comments. Um, the officiating was just god awful. Um, missed call. I'm I'm gonna say TCU had some bad breaks too on that on that front, but just atrocious. The touchdown call back was one of the worst calls I've seen in a big game, um, in a long time. That that was really really bad. Uh, and so it was just disappointing. You know, I, I I'm not quite as down on the loss as most people. I think they should have won that game. I don't believe in transitive properties. Michigan would have played Georgia much closer. Michigan destroyed Ohio State. Ohio State did exactly what I thought they were going to do, and they played Georgia tooth and nail because they had the speed. I don't believe in the transitive properties. I think Michigan would have lost to Georgia, but I think it would have been much closer. I think Ohio State would have done the exact same thing to TCU. It's just it's about the matchup. Styles make fights, and you know TCU was was a had some things going for them against Michigan. One being you know the big receivers, and the other being you know their defense could really stop the run. Uh, if, if, especially without quorum and Donovan Edwards is a home run hitter, but Donovan Edwards, isn't the guy that's going to break the tackles. Blake quorum is the guy when he gets to the second level that could have run through those linebackers. It's a very different game. So I, you know, I'm not as down on it, obviously, you know, what I'm nowhere down on, and we don't have to go into this is just the circus that is Michigan athletics at the moment. I, I mean, just a, what a debacle, what a joke. Um, <laughs> You could, even with the loss, very disappointing. There's a lot to celebrate with that team right now, and they should be just as good next year, uh, frankly. Uh, probably even better offensively. And what we're talking about right now is just lunacy. So that that's, I think, what has the most bitter taste in my mouth, not the fact that they lost to TCU. Well, I guess that is where I wanted to go with some of the lunacy. I mean, uh, what's going on with Harbaugh? Like, what? What? There seems to be a P- PR battle right now, you know, between, you know, who's at fault here, Ward Manuel or Jim Harbaugh. And that that seems to be, you know, the essence of the issue. And you've got the NCAA investigation. I'm using air quotes for obviously no one can see me. Uh, he bought a couple of burgers or whatever. And then I guess didn't cooperate with NCAA investigators. 
Um, Manuel seems to be holding that over his head. You know, Harbaugh seems to be flirting with the NFL every year. It's just, it's just, it's nonsense. It's re- it's just nonsensical. Word Emmanuel comes across as a guy that's really out of his league um, to in, in being a uh, uh, an athletic um, director of a, a very major Power Five, you know, yeah. athletic administration, right? Uh, and, and what I find very interesting is the uh, inability of the um, university administration to recognizing that and, and basically going we we need to make a change because otherwise uh, we, we could be in trouble pretty quickly here. Uh, and, and, and I mean, he, the, the, that's one issue, right? I mean, as far as Harbaugh, you know, I, I, on one side, I, I, I don't have a problem with him going out and, and, and entertaining uh, opportunities in the NFL. But the thing I, I don't really understand is the, the, it's like me showing up at somebody's house uninvited every year at Christmas. I, I, and, and that's where I, I, I think either, either you're, you're, you're wanted and, and trust me, the NFL will reach out if you're wanted. They, they, they reach out to anyone and everyone that they think that they want. And, but, but with hardball, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just kind of go out and just make sure that people know that I'm interested well, it, the, the fashion in which he's doing it is, is poor at best. So, uh, you know, if he was, obviously, if, if he if someone is reaching out to his party, absolutely. He, he has every right to make sure to, you know, not leave the door on open. But but in, in, at this point, I think it's pretty clear it's going to be the, the Harville's reaching out to them, and now they're just being respectful. So I, I and to that point, you, you're right. And, and that's where a guy like Ward Emanuel needs to be replaced, and, and you need to get someone in there that knows what they're doing. Yeah, and, and just the, 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 you know, I don't want to speak for Michigan athletics in totality because they have, they're among the absolute best sports programs, you know, top to bottom in the country. Um, but you know, their basketball program, we don't, I don't have the strength to talk about it today. Uh, <laughs> isn't too hot either, you know? And so, uh, and there's just, there's just some messiness with that, with athletics right now. And, you know, if, if Jim really wants to go coach the Denver Broncos, good luck and God bless. Cause I had the unfortunate pleasure of watching them, that team many times this year on TV and good God was that bad. So, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, odds are he comes back, um, you know, maybe yeah. another year, maybe two, you know, and then he'll eventually, an NFL team will hire him. Um, he could get a job this year if he wanted. It'd be a bad one. You know, the Texans would hire him, and, you know. Uh, so the question is, is will, will he, will, will he be able to make a smart enough move to make his NFL, his next stint in the NFL worthwhile and not totally flame out and end up back where he, you know, back in college? There's only one job that I think is reasonable in terms of of it being remotely attractive, and that's one that might be opened up based on what happened yesterday. And that's that's the the LA Chargers job. That 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 oh, yeah. that's the only oh, yeah. job that I think that Harbaugh should even think about or entertain at this right. point. The rest of them are terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the charger job would be, a pe- that's a peach of a job. I mean, that is a... Yes, that's that, that good job that if he does offer, should be the one that he takes. And I don't want to hear anyone tell me, oh, well, what, 
what is Mike McCartan? No, I, I don't want to work with Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, that, that's the last job I want in the NFL. Yeah. It's a little exhausting reading about it every year, though, with Harbaugh flirting yeah. with the NFL. And, I, and I'm a very Agreed. casual observer, and it's still exhausting. Um, and, and interesting, um, the fact check department, which has been dormant for some time, um, I was uh, curious as to Ward Manuel's contract, which runs through uh, June of 2026, is a $1.1 million salary a year, plus a $350,000 contribution to his retirement fund each year, um, plus some other perks and what have you. So that's um, a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal. He's probably not going anywhere. That's a lot of money. Um, so I just like to bring a ray of sunshine to every conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think the what what we're seeing play out is really the only thing that was going to move War Manual, and that was the change in administration um, in Michigan. And maybe with you know the the wave of momentum that Santa Ono has, even beyond you know athletics, might be enough to to make yeah. that kind of a move. But other than that, you know, he was going to be there for pretty much forever. Maybe now. Uh, yeah. So sticking in the world of football, we can talk a little bit about the Detroit Lions, who um, disappointingly did not make the playoffs, but uh, still won that last game against Green Bay and overall had a far better season than what any I think any of us really expected. Um, and in fact, at some points during the season, it looked like it was just the same old clown car show that the Lions have been pretty much our entire lifetimes. Um, but they really did a nice job at the end of the season, and you have to give them props for that. So summary on end of year, how are you feeling? What comes next? And, and I also want to talk about a little bit about Dan Campbell and see where you stand on him as head coach. I thought it was a major missed opportunity. Not that, I, I mean, you know, you can say, oh, well, you know, they should have won the Carolina game and stuff like that. The bottom line, it was a missed opportunity. They played well enough down the stretch to be part of the playoffs, especially when you consider they mollywopped uh, the Giants at home uh, during that particular stretch, uh, the, you know, and, and, and they uh, um, played great against the Bills on Thanksgiving. Um, they faked them out. I mean, in my mind, they demolished the Packers on, on Sunday night at Lambeau with everything on the line. But they didn't really have a whole lot going for them. Um, you know, and not that Chicago was good, but boy, they just went in. They did They did the job. And, and it was very clear, despite the first drive to Justin Fields and the Bears had, that they, they, they were going to be in control of that game from almost the middle of the first quarter all the way to the end of the game. Um to me, major missed opportunity because NFC is not that great this year. I was really actually surprised. We're recording this on Sunday, January 15th. Um, so that means that the uh, the Seattle-San uh, Francisco 49ers game took place yesterday. I was very surprised how I, – I, I know that it was a big margin, but I'll tell you what, the 49ers did not play sharp football up until about – they didn't really start playing that ball halfway through, until the, uh, halfway through the third quarter. Um, I think with the Lions, though, um, health was on their side. Um, they, they, they had everyone healthy just about down the stretch. I was at Jeff Okuda. Um, they, they had all their wide receivers, which we know. And, and, and the point being is, I, I just, I, I'm not 
confident, you know, for example, that Jared Goff can be healthy every for every game that season. Um, and, and that's nothing against Jared Goff. That has nothing to do. It's just quarterbacks in the league get, get hit, and, and, and they don't necessarily play every game. Uh, that offensive line, and don't get me wrong, Bragnow uh, uh, um, may need surgery on his foot. He played with basically a bump foot for over half the season. But, you know, Taylor Decker, Sewell, they were healthy along with Jonah Jackson played you know, 13, 14 games. I mean, that offensive line was very healthy throughout the season. I'm just very – and that defense, while statistically terrible, when you take everything into consideration – season um i i just i don't know um you know the, the the point being is that they seem to come up with big plays when they needed to down the stretch not including of course carolina game where they got completely obliterated but and even that game i'm not even that frustrated they had won three games on the road um they they i mean really to to win on the road in the nfl is tough to win on the road against a desperate, desperate, desperate Carolina game that had played absolutely awful football the week before against the Steelers was even going to be more difficult. And 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 um, so from, from that standpoint, that's where I get a little disappointed because I think the opportunity was there uh, and everything was elite, and especially to um, Brandon, you talked about the uh, officiating uh, in the um, uh, in the TCU Michigan game, which was absolutely deplorable. But then to have the uh, the officiating um, hold my beer game in the uh, Seahawks Rams game, I, I just it, it's so disappointing to have everything fall like it did, and I just I, I get very concerned that 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 momentum that you had at the end of the season will not be able to be recaptured. It has nothing to do with coaching staff. It just happens to be really just luck I and mean, in, in some way. Uh, and, and that's my concern. It really is. But now, mind you, I think with the offseason, and I don't want to get too far into the offseason, but but I think, is there a potential of maintaining it? Yeah, I, I guess. I just, I, I don't like to throw bait uh, like that and, 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 and have hope of being part of your strategy going into the season. So. You know, I think I've, I I have almost a, I don't want to say an opposite take, um, but I think particularly maybe as it relates to next year, definitely an opposite take. You know, I would, what I would say for the end of this year is, you know, a fa- fabulous end of the season to state the absolute obvious. I think, you know, they exposed the, the, the fine, you know, put a nail in the coffin of why the Packers fraudulent. We know they are. They are. Um, and a missed opportunity, perhaps. You know, you have you'd have a real hard time convincing me they do any better than Seattle did yesterday against the the 49ers. I think the 49ers would have obliterated the Lions, um, uh, much in the same fashion that Carolina did. Um, I, I don't think the Lions would have had a chance against that team. Other teams in the playoffs, Minnesota, you know, other Dallas, maybe even, you know, sure, sure. Um, but I, you know, I'm quite optimistic. Um, I, I I would venture to say when you take into, into account all of the considerations around the team, I cannot remember a team in the last 20 years that I'm more excited about the next year than, than these lines. Um, maybe the team that lost to Dallas, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, maybe, but they we knew they were going to lose Sue and a few other pieces that offseason. I think this team is more exciting next year going to next year than I've ever felt about a Lions team 
you know, in the last 20 years. And I would venture to say, just knowing how they performed in the 90s, probably since 91 or 93, um, when they won the division. So I, you know, you got a couple first round draft picks. You have a really favorable salary situation. You have quite a bit of money to spend. You have quite a few high draft picks. You have a young core. Um, I think the future is very bright. I don't think there's anyone else in that division that's scary. I think Minnesota will fall apart in a matter of one to two years. Green Bay, you know, who knows? Uh, Chicago, you know, Fields is dangerous, but they're they're a little ways off. So I'm just very excited for next year. Uh, I and I think they they finished on a high note, uh, and the future is bright. And that's something that's very very seldom can we say that about the Lions. That's that's the truth um it's very rare that we can be optimistic and um i i've just been as you guys have been talking i've been looking through the roster to see about any major free agent folks there's really not a ton um offensive line is all intact um obviously you have jamal williams um who you know had a very good season um but I mean that is pretty encouraging, quite honestly. Um, well, let's talk about Dean Campbell. What are what are your thoughts on him as head coach? I I have to tell you that in my estimation, um, I think Dan Campbell because I, I I don't I think there's a lot of good pieces on this team, but I think collectively it it's it's wasn't near as talented as it looked down the stretch. Um, And, you know, I I think one thing that Dan Campbell has going for him is the fact that he really comes across as a very self-aware person, at least from an NFL head coach football standpoint. Um, He very much knew what was going on with that defense and he made the choice to you know, go ahead and, um, you know, uh, you know, re- remove uh, at, uh, Aubrey Pleasant um, from from the uh, um, from from the team, and and that literally turned around that that defense, like, and and not that it became the best, but it became pretty darn respectable, right? Um, and then you move on to, you know, I I don't think a lot of, I mean, you, you know, you you go from having a former head coach as your offensive coordinator last year. And you say, well, that that's not working. So I'm going to turn it over to Ben, uh, a guy who, you know, I don't even know if Ben shaves and he just, you know, you know, and I mean, he turns it over to him. And I, I think that, I I think, you know, he, he was very well regarded. Jack Taylor was at the the, uh, Super Bowl last year. uh, He had stated that actually two years when, when he was a tight end coach, uh, you know, when, when Ben was the tight end coach, he, he tried for a couple of years to get him because he thought he was maybe the top three or five offensive minds in the, in the league, even at that point, um, you know, that which is amazing. And, and the Lions did make a very good decision of saying, no, we're, we're not going to, um, you know, release him. And that was even during the Patricia years. Right. Um, but to, to be more succinct in answering your question, I think Dan Campbell has done an absolutely sensational job on this team because I think it's a less talented than, than I think most people believe. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to, to understand uh, and, and see 
what will happen going forward. I am skeptical, but it's more about the missed opportunity and less about and, and more about what can happen uh, and, and than, than it is necessarily what Dan Campbell's doing. So did that make sense? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think he's, his name is wor- worthwhile in the coach of the year conversation. I'm sure he will be, you know, for my money, that's Mike Tomlin. But I think, you know, Dan Campbell acquitted himself very well, um, very well. And, uh, you know, Ben Johnson's got, got, got all the shine. Um, I, I, you know, I think most of it is, is, is just due. I think, did he do anything? I mean, he basically ran the same playbook that Sean McVay did the year the Rams got to the Super Bowl. So I, I don't know that he invented anything. You know, basically used Jared Goff in play action. Uh, works works okay. Uh, let Jared Goff stand in the pocket. It's going to be real bad. Uh, I mean, this is a, he basically was running the same playbook the Rams did. So I don't know that he reinvented anything, but he certainly got that offense, you know, maximum production, you know, from that group. But 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 I would go back and, and I'm not disagreeing or agreeing. But 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 what I would bring up in that particular discussion is is he has gone ahead and and done a really a prolific offense with a quarterback that is that the league itself is very divided on Jared Goff, mm-hmm. and you did it with DJ Shark, Josh Reynolds. To a lesser extent, Khalif Raymond, and and of course, I mean the the, the shining, you know, in Amon Ron State, same Brown, right? Yep. And oh, by the way, you did all that, and you said, "Hey, T.J. Hawkinson, we've had enough of you. We're going to just call you know, trade you over to, to Minnesota." I but but aside from Amon Ross, St. Brown, I think all those guys, maybe not T.J. Sharp, but gosh, I, I don't, I just. The, the, it was none of those guys outside of St. Brown are part of the like prolific uh, part of the, the, the conversation of, of top 30 wide receivers. No one. Yeah, no, and that, certainly. Yeah. No, their wide receiver room was, was thin uh, at best, but you know, I mean, you know, good offensive line. Yeah. Oh, yes. Talented yes. Running backs, yes. You know, Pro Bowl wide receiver. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess that, that again, why I still, you cannot convince me that Jamison Williams wasn't a bad pick. Uh, he may be a very good NFL player. He's clearly, I mean, he's just fast as all get out. He's just running by guys left and right. But, you know, tell me a, a defensive player at number whatever the pick would have been had they not traded it doesn't get them in the playoffs. I, you know, it, it proves the point that that, that was one of Brad Holmes' few mistakes, in my opinion, uh, in his in his tenure was was moving up to take Jamison Williams. And again, he made he made you know catch ten touchdowns next year, and you know have, may, may they may all be over fifty yards because he is absolutely ridiculously talented. But and, and, and I'll tell you the other thing uh, it is the uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, the other thing though that I thought was and, and something we, we've never talked about in the show. And to be honest with you, I don't think anyone talks about. But going back to the Dan Campbell question, I, I don't know how he figured out the special teams. But this special team was unbelievable yeah, this year. Really I, 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 I mean, almost nothing happened on, on, you know, especially when they were kicking off and, and, and whatnot. And, and it really, um, so I, from that standpoint, I, I, I'm perfectly happy with Dan Campbell, who 
you know, you, you have to laugh. I mean, this is a guy that comes in and, and I mean, his first press conference is one for the books. It's absolutely one for the books. And, it, you know, and I, I mean, and, and part of it, I have to tell you, even since that one, I was very curious to see how it would work out because I, I almost felt like he knew what he was doing. And I, I know, and I, I and, and, and what I mean by that is, I think he knew how bad this team was and he had to do something to, to inspire not only the guys that are in the locker room, but just the organization as a whole. And when you look back at that moment, it really is kind of that, that line drawn in, you know, in, in the ground, not even the sand, it was literally drawn in the ground. And uh, he, he, I think it was a, a defining moment and, and, and oddly enough, a, a bit of a strategy, but again, Anything is strategy when you you know go out and, and and lastly, the most important stat from this season, and and Brandon, you basically said it without saying the fact, is five one in the division. That to me, that and how they played should have really been well on the road. You literally played well on the road, and yes, you should have been undefeated. Yes, but. You went out and you became formidable on the road, which this organization and, and, and Brandon goes through the timeline. And this organization has always been one where it didn't matter who they hired. It always seemed to be surrounding how you're going to play at the Silverdome slash Ford Field. Yep. Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, even like the pick of Jameson Williams, to me, it's way better to have Jameson Williams at Ford Field than it is at on, on, on turf right? sure. i think if we're being honest that that's absolutely the case but i think they will continue though to be a team that will build for every game that they play in their schedule versus just the ones that are home yeah no i i think the, the last thing i'll say about dan campbell is we're starting he's starting to get enough experience to overcome what I think even the, the 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 biggest Dan Campbell fans would admit for the first 20 to 25 games in his career, some truly atrocious game management. I mean, some truly mind-bogglingly bad decisions uh, as a game manager. And, you know, as he's starting to get more experience, you're seeing less and less of that. Uh, as he's starting to learn the ropes and become a better game manager. And that, and, you know, we knew he had the stuff of motivation and leadership and, and culture change. And if he can get some of the game, the, the, you know, he doesn't need to be Andy Reid or anything, but like if he can start to really understand, you know, at the very least how not to hurt the team, you know, with poor clock management or poor game management, then, you know, he will have a good career as a coach in, in the NFL with the Lions or with others, just because of his ability, I think to Adam's great point to know how to change the culture. And I think his experience uh, as an NFL player is really crucial to that too. Um, you know, I couldn't be a more different person than Tony Dungy, but it strikes me a little bit like the Tony Dungy hire for the Indianapolis Colts in the 90s. And they just needed somebody. I mean, just a dreadful franchise. Uh, they just needed somebody that understood the NFL and understood the locker room and knew how to build a culture. Uh, and it, it reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah. Like you said, Brandon, it's actually leaving, I think, with a, a, a realistic measure of hope for the Lions who have been dreadfully 
without hope, at least if you were not a pathological optimist, as right. most of Lion fandom seems to be. Uh, we talked about this when Brad Holmes came on board about, okay, is he and that new administration going to be any different than all the ones that came before? So far, it seems to be trending in that direction. And I will give credit where credit is due. So as much as I like to hate on the Lions, uh, I think they've earned it. But um, I do think it is a turn in the right direction. And, and, and Justin, the more this turns around, I hope the more that Sheila, the owner of the, you know, the acting owner of this particular team gets credit. Because I think Sheila got a lot of, of crap along the way that I think, True. for whatever reason, comes with being a woman, you know, running a professional sports franchise. And um, I, I hope the people that were quick to sling whatever at her um, are able to as quickly sling praise. But of course, we know how that works. So. <laughs> That's the truth. And, you know, worst case, Ben Johnson leaves. I think that they will have the opportunity. He will be available. Matt Patricia will be available. If they are looking for a play caller, I do not believe the Patriots will retain his services. I mean, as great as that they were down the stretch in their offense, I think that Mac Jones was only on camera dropping F-bombs, you know, five or six times in the last couple of weeks. And so I think, you know, Matty P will be available, pencil and all, and uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Um, before we move completely away from football, any, um, any thoughts on the NFL playoffs, what you see happening next, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure we'll be doing this again before the Super Bowl, but obviously got a few weeks, uh, of playoffs going on. I, I, from my perspective, it's still Cincinnati that gets to the Super Bowl. Um, I think even with everything with Mar Hamlin, with the, the Bills, I still, unfortunately, um, that doesn't help you play defense. I, I don't think that the Bills will be able to overcome the loss of Von Miller down the stretch. Um, and I think Kansas City, um, I, I just I, I just tend to think that the, the hot hand will continue to be Joe Burrow. Um, and uh, and they'll probably go against the 49ers. I, I think the I mean, I think Jalen Hurts, unfortunately, is in really rough shape right now. And I think they really need him to be 100 percent healthy to be able to go on. To, you know, and, and, and get to the Super Bowl. Um, and I think, uh, you know, from that standpoint, that, that's what I'm expecting to, to, to be the case when we do our show before the Super Bowl. Yeah, I um, I agree. You know, I think San Francisco is the likely team out of the NFC. Um, I think that Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City are probably all capable of beating the 49ers, uh, I think the Bills and the Bengals would be, you know, significantly favored to do so, in my opinion. I think the Chiefs, you know, would still stand a pretty good chance. So, you know, it's the AFC's got the depth, truly. Uh, that is where the power is this year, and there will be some great football games. Um, I don't have a team that I think, you know, I think Burrow's got the hot hand, uh, clearly. Um, but I don't have, there's no clear favorite in my mind uh, of those teams, I think. It's, you know, it's going to depend a lot on the matchups and who gets beat up, you know, and how the sheeting works and, and all that good stuff. We've already had, you know, one unexpected result. And so, you know, how will that change the calculus? Uh, so, um, yeah. And then, you know, Jalen Hurts won 
you know, looks pretty banged up in two. I, I just don't believe is go- it has the has the stuff yet in his passing game uh, to navigate, you know, a team to the Super Bowl or to win one. You know, I think if teams can figure out that you should put maybe two people on A.J. Brown and not one, <laughs> um, it, it might go a fair bit better. I, I, I will say this. The, the Monday game, we're, we're on, like I said, Sunday, the Monday game is uh, Tampa. Dallas. Now that that particular team, I believe, whoever wins that game would move on to. Uh, well, I think if, if if Minnesota win, I can't remember how it all. But but I, I I'm curious about what happens with both of those teams because Dallas, from a talent standpoint, might be the most underrated team in 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 the conference. Uh, underrated. Um, and I just, I, you know, and I, you're not going to like me saying this, uh, uh, Brandon, but I just wonder whether or not there's enough fire uh, uh, now, a little bit of momentum out of Tampa, if, if not, uh, Tom Brady can't seem to get things going forward. And, and I make that commentary less about the teams and more about just the general state of the NFC at this point. And I would agree that any of those teams going up against San Francisco would be, um, uh, you know, would definitely on paper pale in comparison. And I know he has not shown any uh, tendency to make mistakes, but I just wonder whether or not at some point the Brock Purdy uh, bandwagon with so many people uh, ends up, you know, kind of getting a a broken wheel. So No, I think that's a great point. I think, um, you know, he, he will be challenged, you know, uh, if they get to the NFC championship and in, in that kind of environment, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that, you know, one, I, we're playing playoff games on Monday. Now I, someone help me understand, uh, into just what a disgusting matchup. I mean, and I mean that from a media standpoint, I just, I can't, I almost can't even watch it right? because right. you just have the absurdities of Tom and, and all the gushing over that. And then you got Dallas and, and the circle, the co- incessant circle jerk there. Uh, with 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 the Cowboys, I, I just can't. I just I hope I hope they forfeit all of them. I mean, just just the game general in, in the in the NFC. Like you could not if even if you tied me down to a chair, make me watch the Vikings Giants game today. You, there, there's just no amount of money that could make me do that. As far as I'm concerned, there's two playoff games today, and those are the only two. And and then I I, I, I may watch tomorrow. Just like you know, you got to watch a train crash or whatever. But I just God, these games are atrocious. Let, let me tell you, though, my favorite moment of maybe NFL history was last night, a, a tweet I saw this morning from the, the winning quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. What does he do in downtown Jacksonville after a big game? He heads to the Waffle House to wrap up the evening. That, to me, he could champion in my eyes. He's won Absolutely. the Super Bowl. He's won the Super Bowl. He knew what the right delicate test it was going into the to, uh, after a big accomplishment. And at that right. point, he, I, I might just go get a Turbo Orange jersey just because of that. I haven't bought a jersey in 30 years. So, so is this the same Waffle House where that waitress caught the chair thrown out? Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, okay. he, he's doing it's high not. five he, and I'm he's waiting saying. in line with, with everybody else to say, hey, I'm waiting for a table. <laughs> okay. I mean, Waffle House has rules. Okay. <laughs> or, or or there's pain. In any case, um, 
moving away from Waffle House <laughs> and over to other parts of the general Detroit uh, sports scene. Uh, Traden Troy Weaver um, gets a contract extension. I don't think the terms have been leaked out there, um, but got a contract extension. Uh, he signed a four-year deal in 2020 when he came on board. So clearly this is a few more years after that. So theoretically, Tom Gores is saying Troy is going to be with us another four, six plus years. Thoughts on that? Uh, and, and, and we, we had talked on the last show about Troy Weaver and of course Dwayne Casey and what exactly this, this team was going to do. I, I wasn't necessarily looking to talk about the Pistons team itself in the show because we have, I think we've said all that we can at this point, yeah. but it, it's very clear to me, Brandon, that there has been a commitment, I guess, by Tom Gores, the owner and his administrative team, that that they think that uh, Troy Weaver uh, has done a good enough job, uh, despite it not really manifesting itself out in court, that they've given him a contract extension. Now, I mind you, I, in my personal opinion, I mean, like the, the uh, trade for Bojan was fantastic. Um, the, the, the players that they've been able to find, are they're good players. But at, at some point, the, the bar seems to be very low in terms of what this ownership and administration team is looking for. And it, it just, I, I was floored. I was absolutely floored by that news. I thought someone was joking when they, I, like someone brought it to my attention via text and I'm like, you obviously couldn't read or you, you're reading something wrong. And then only to find out that, wow, they, they did it. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I'm actually not that surprised. I mean, I, I, I understand the reason for your surprise. I think your, your points and your take on it's completely valid to me. This is all in many ways, very similar to the Avila contract extension, uh, in my opinion, which we talked about then. Obviously, I was never an Al fan, but even I, I believe, admitted at the time, there really was no logical course of action other than to to make the contract extension because we had to see the fruits of the first three to five, four years of the rebuild vis-a-vis the young, the young pitchers, the young arms, and the torques, and the greens, and whatnot. We had to see that come to fruition. And I think we're very much in the same place with Troy Weaver. I think he has acquitted himself much better than Al Avila. I think he has shown an ability to deal uh, with other teams via trade in a far more sophisticated way than Al Avila was able to. Uh, and he's also, you know, has to kind of wait to see if his draft picks, you know, much like Al, see if they could, you know, pay off. And unfortunately, you know, Al doesn't have the luxury of the runway it may take for some of these guys to turn into good uh, MLB players, and I think Troy will likely get a, a fair shake on that account, but it seems very much like that. Like, they're committed. They got to see what this looks like. He lost Cade for the year. Got to get Cade healthy. Jaden Ivey next year, another year for Duran uh, to mature. Um, but, you know, as, we, as we've as we beaten the horse and run over the horse and thrown the horse off a bridge and thrown a chair at the horse in a Waffle House, what he, dec- what he does with this log jam uh of, of forwards in the bay isaiah stewart situation <laughs> you know that doesn't to make or break so um <laughs> i'm surprised but not surprised i don't think he had any interest i'm still stuck at are we throwing the chair at the waffle house at the horse in the waffle house or yes, are we throwing yes, the horse, the horse. The okay the horse is in the waffle house in the horse is in the waffle house and we're throwing the chair at the horse because we've talked about it so much 
got it. <laughs> or one of the things I said at work the other day is that we're taking a dead horse and we're beating another dead horse dead with horse. a dead horse. Right. Um, yes. Yes, indeed. So obviously wait and see there, but I, I 100% agree that the Weaver situation is very similar to the Avila situation, which we talked about at the time, was really the only right move at that time. I, I, I think it's very similar here. Um, and this season is lost for the Pistons, and there's no point really belaboring that. One season that's not lost is for the Red Wings. Um, they, yes. it, it, it's very meh, right? I mean, they they have been they're you know basically a 500 team, um, but I think continuing to trend in the appropriate direction, and. I mean, it's been it's been a bumpy road, but they're starting to get some guys back. Robbie Fabry's looked very good in his couple of games back. Tyler Bertuzzi's finally back in the lineup. Jacob Vrana should be joining the team here shortly. I mean, there's something to be said for that. Is they're finally starting to hopefully get a little bit of momentum, and um, I still remain generally encouraged by how the wings are going. Um, any thoughts on your... Uh... I, I don't know. It feels like they're in a rut. I, you know, they made a... a they really, really strengthened their depth this offseason. I'm still very much in favor of all those moves. I think they are good moves. They will pay dividends, um, you know, for where the team is. But there's just... They are missing another, another spark plug, um, be it on... Be it a top four defenseman or a top six forward, they are missing a marquee, you know, signing, you know, and apples and oranges in terms of where the teams are at. But, you know, I think a lot about the Marion Hosa signing the Wings made, um, you know, it ultimately didn't work. They didn't win, but it, like they need that kind of a, of a, they need a marquee established 30 goal guy. Uh, to come in and, and really anchor some things, you know, as these young forwards figure it out, or they need to do the same on defense and really place the emphasis there. So I, I'm waiting for that. I'm, you know, you mentioned Verona, very discouraged. Uh, he doesn't seem to be able to craft a lineup in in Grand Rapids right now. Um, and so I, I clearly, whatever personal issues, it's not a, it's not a talent issue with Jacob mm-hmm. Verona. It may be a conditioning issue, or uh, you know, clearly there's some mental health challenges, whatever it is he's going through, but. It's disappointing, um, and and they needed that depth from him uh, this year. So I, I'm I'm in wait and see mode on them. I you know they have a chance to flirt with the playoffs. So jury is still out on this year, but looking even looking into next year, they got to make a big move. They got to make a splash. Yeah, and to that point, I I think that's the, the goal. Hopefully, they're able to kind of get some momentum here. They're able to get into the playoffs. I think playoffs for a young team like this would go a long way. Uh, in terms of being able to uh, get the experience, to get the appetite for, for going on to the next step. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I think the, to Brandon's point, and I've heard a little bit of discussion about this, you know, you, you're really looking at like Dylan Larkin, I think is playing really good hockey. Right. But I, I think there's the, the, the expectation of what your, one of your best players on the team would do would be more than what, what Dylan is doing at this point. 
and, and, and I know, and it's nothing against Dylan himself as much as it's more about the roster and being able to get the, a, a star, uh, a real, you know, someone that you can really latch onto it. Then, and then the, the, the good play kind of feeds down into the rest of the roster. Um, and, and I think that's where, you know, going out and getting a superstar, you know, can, can, you know, go ahead and, and not mind you, my request is, way easier just to throw out there on a, a podcast than actually do as, as Steve Eisenman would need to do to make that happen as a GM. But um that and 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 you see that with a lot of these young um uh up and you know coming players uh in 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 the NHL at this point is that ability for everyone to just go, hey, you know, jump on my shoulders and, and I'll I'll uh, I'll get you to where 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 you need to be. And to get that player on the team would, I think, going well, would definitely help, especially with as young as this roster is. I think that if Verona, and I actually didn't see, uh, Brandon, that he had been scratched again last night. Um, so that is deeply concerning. Um, the um, thing is, is if they can get let's say he were able to come back and be the player that we know that he's capable of being and that Tyler Bertuzzi could get unstuck from the mire. And granted he's had two broken hands basically this year. He's never been able to get on track. I think up front they're good. Um, which is not to say you couldn't add talent to that. I think they need a standout defenseman. Um, and Cider's not there yet. He will be. Um, Ronick is having a wonderful bounce back season, but we talked about this in the off season before it was not a great off season for defensemen. They still made two, I think very solid signings and Mata has played particularly well, but I think they need, I mean, you're not going to go find a Nick Lidstrom or a Paul coffee or what have you just, just floating around anywhere. But I think if you had just a, another big name defenseman, good puck mover, solid yeah. defender. Um, and that that's the missing link to me. Um, the other, the other piece is of course, for some of these young guys, are they going to continue to progress? Is really who's the right choice for gold? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's future stuff, but as we're looking at the team now, that's to me, the biggest missing piece. So Moving uh, on there, though, from the wings, well, one thing you had mentioned, Adam, um, to us in our uh, notes prior to the show was wings, buyers, or sellers at the deadline uh, absolutely are sellers if the right opportunity comes up in my mind. Playoffs don't mean jack to me at this point. It would be nice. I mean, it would be nice for these guys to get their first taste or one of their first tastes of playoff action. No question. But um, although I will say I really like the makeup of this team. Um, So there's nobody I'm sitting there going, gosh, I really hope they're able to move so-and-so. Even David Perron, I really liked that signing. Um, I'd love to see him. Now, obviously, if somebody offers a great young player for him, don't be dumb. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, that's my the, 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 the only thing I would bring up, though, I, I mean, it's way more of a question than, than a, a, a narrative is that at what point do you become buyers? 
because I I I, yeah. I I I wonder whether or not being a buyer would be a catalyst for the rest of this young roster. That that's where I wonder. I'm just curious to see what your guys' answer is. Well, what I'll say to that, um, really quick, is if as you're talking to other GMs and you've got a team that's, you know looking to unload a top tier talent, a top six forward, a top four defenseman, because they know they're not going anywhere. I would not hesitate to pull the trigger on that type of move at this point, if that makes sense. I'm not going out looking for it, but, or I'm looking for it very casually, I guess would be probably a better way of saying it. I certainly wouldn't turn it down. Uh, Brandon, what were you going to say? I was going to say the exact same thing. I was going to say, if they have the opportunity to pick up one of those two uh, proto, you know, archetype of players that we discussed, do that. Um, as far as being sellers, I kind of have the same take, just basically the same equation is if they can get a bounty for one of the guys they have, do that, but then immediately use that or, or use it to offset what you were going to deal to go get what we just discussed in the off season. So it, it, even if they did, get something great for Peron, then you better package up whatever you get or whatever you had and move it right back out the door um, to go get what you need, um, you know, vis-a-vis a defenseman or a forward. Yeah, absolutely. If they did nothing at the deadline, I would be perfectly fine. Same here. You know, and then uh, we'll see what they can do in the offseason. So uh, speaking of off-seasons, we, of course, remain in the baseball off-season, although we are getting – perilously close to spring training pitchers and catchers who aren't in the tournament report a month from today uh today also opens international signing of which the tigers are slated to sign three of the top 50 international prospects um although nobody higher than about 30th i want to say um but that said a couple noteworthy things uh and perhaps the most noteworthy to me anyway was the trade uh gregory soto and Clemens for uh, three players on the Phillies, three relatively young players. And what I'll say about this is the more that I have dug into this trade, the more I've liked it. Um, A little bit kind of eh, when they first announced it. Um, And I always um, fear being on the opposite side of a Dave Dombrowski trade, as we've talked many times he is kind of a savant um when it comes to this stuff but he will give up talent to get talent and that doesn't mean that we won't get utility out of these players and maybe great utility i don't know um so definitely curious as to your take on these uh acquisitions I, I think the one thing about trading Gregory Soto is that it, you know I think that uh, the, you know the the new uh, administration administration basically probably looked at him and said you know what he's probably reached his uh, ceiling in terms of talent uh, and certainly um, there's probably a lot of confidence in terms of what this pitching staff can do uh, in terms of going ahead and maximizing that and at that point. You know, they, they made the decision to to go ahead and obviously trade him away. Um, I think there's a lot of opinions um, out there in terms of what what they got back. 
Um, uh, and I, I've read a, a, a few of them in, in the thing. I think, uh, um, you know, it seems like the collective hall uh, is probably maybe from a bait from those who really follow baseball. I think he's all really loved the straight for the, the uh, Tigers um, and, and felt like uh, you were bringing in some pretty good backs that were desperately some right handed uh, hitting that was desperately needed on this particular team. Um, and uh, um, guys that maybe are, are have a chance of, of of actually playing a lot more than what we think. The catchers seem to be uh, pretty high regard. Um, I, I, you know, the point being is that I think this team now, uh, opposed to in the past, has very much a model player that they're looking for. Uh, and I think they probably felt in general who they're getting is filling that, filling that requirement. Now it's just a matter of sitting back and seeing whether or not it works. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was pretty positive uh, on the deal. Um, you know, I think what I liked about it, Adam, is kind of what you just brought up, which is, you know, you know Harris is getting his guys. Uh, and I will spare all of you, Justin and I's head-scratching and analysis of the Castro brothers. I will not subject anyone to that. Uh, for our multiple conversations about why they let those guys go and made some of the other moves they made, it's true would truly be painful for all involved. But I, I, I like that he's getting guys that he he's confident in that he likes these most both of the the two guys that are really MLB ready are are very versatile in terms of the positions they can play. They add some good they add some some good numbers statistically from a batting perspective. Um, so it could be a, a win win trade. Honestly, I mean, I, I don't. This is one where I, I don't know that there's going to be. You know, we may get a lot out of those guys. The Phillies are a. World Series caliber team that just added an arm that if if coached correctly and if put in the right spots can be, can be dominant and you know to a team that's that close to a World Series then you know great good deal you know yeah. um, and you know maybe you got a flyer on a, a utility guy in Clemens who knows so I think it could be a win win deal I'm happy with it um, and I, and I like that he's putting his mark on the team and again you know. Contrasting with Avila, Avila made some of the big trades early on, you know, in dealing the Verlanders and whatnot. And it seemed to me they were just trying to acquire as much talent as possible, but there didn't really seem to be an archetype that they were looking for in terms of the guys that he was bringing back. He was just like, what can I extract in terms of prospect ratings and talent from these from these teams? And it seems Harris has a slightly different take on that. Uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that is a really good observation about one of Avila's deficiencies, which was building a a cohesive strategy. I mean, because there were clearly deficits within the organization that could have been addressed. Clearly, he he brought a lot of pitching depth to the organization. We saw that borne out last year, so that's good. But there were such glaring deficits in other areas. Whereas, to your point... Harris is trying to go out and bring very specific type of players. It, essentially, Veerling and Matan are upgrades in Harris's eyes over the two Castros because yeah. their numbers are very similar. Um, he can't resist. He can't. He can't. But <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. It's like, it's like Cookie Monster. It's just there's a plate of cookies there and it just. Uh, <laughs> but thankfully. You're um, going to write a thesis that's going to be published on the Athletic about the Castro brothers. 
<laughs> Interestingly enough, Harold Castro has not signed with anyone yet, so uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, mm. thankfully, though, Harris did throw me a bone and signed Karen Castro. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we have a minor league reliever here <laughs> named Castro. So anyway. Um, but, but yeah. by the way, for those listening, we, we have a show that has brought up the Waffle House and the Cookie Monster. So I think uh, <laughs> I think we're really... Really, our, our hashtag is going to be phenomenal. Share, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so here we are. That's what we bring. I mean, this is an emporium. We sell all kinds of things here. It's oh, not we just, do. We're, we're not just like a Walmart. We're not, but, you know. Justin, I, I don't want to leave the show without talking about the, the yes. changing dimensions and outfield wall. And, and I'll, I'll, I just want to make sure to get that out there. So. Uh, oh, for, for sure. And all I'm <laughs> going to say is if I'm Miguel Cabrera, I'm throwing a chair at a horse in a Waffle House after this. Uh, I mean, seriously, because like guys really you do this now in the season when i can't even hit any i can't walk anymore <laughs> like seriously hey um, scott harris woke up one morning and said you know what do i need to sign any uh mlb hitters no i'm gonna put two contacts in one eye and i'm gonna bring those dimensions in <laughs> that's right i don't need to exactly. sign anybody i'm just going to change the field you're right i mean I, clearly I, 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 I'd be actually really curious because, I mean, for the most part, Miguel Cabrera's hits are usually to the right left field. And I, I would have been very interested. I'm sure there's a, a data analytics out there to tell you how many more home runs he would have been able to hit. I, 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 I Now, mind you, I think he's probably more impacted maybe by the height of the wall, per se, which I, I don't think, again, I'm not um, but but the outfield dimensions, I don't necessarily, or the, uh, the center field dimension. He hit obviously a good number for center field, but I think way more had they moved in the walls and left and right would have been different, right? So, yes, I, this is entirely anecdotal, but to me, typically when Cabrera hit the ball the deep center, it wasn't in doubt. Yeah, That's true. You know, like when he decided to go in prime Cabrera, when he decided to go that way, you were typically looking at about four thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just decided he was going to hit the the Chevrolet sign or whatever, like yeah. you know. So, but I, the point right. is taken. Like now, you do this, like goodness gracious, right. like, yeah. this, is, this is probably long overdue. In, yeah. in all honesty, for sure. And I think lowering the fences probably is a good thing. Um, it does take away a little bit of that um, right center field. It, it, uh, the right center field is kind of a special thing. It's it's very different um, as compared to most major league parks. Um, that high wall and the deep uh, bit, which make which has made Comerica very favorable to triples. Um, so that was interesting to me. Um, I've always liked the super deep center field fence. I love the fact that Tiger Stadium had that. Um, bringing it in ten. Still makes it, still keeps it the second longest center field in the major leagues. So, okay, I'm certainly not gonna get mad about that. Um, and I always did think the walls were a little bit too tall um, in right field. Um, I actually thought we should have had shorter fences in right, um, but that's eh, a very small tweak. 
Um, but I don't think they're I mean, bad tweaks. In my mind, to me, the single most impactful thing they could have done if they wanted to change the dimensions was to bring in the left field fence. Mm-hmm. Um, because to me, that is where, again, anecdotally, I could be completely wrong statistically, but anecdotally, I have seen more balls taken away from batters with the fence size and left field than I have seen in any other part of the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Right around the visitor's bullpen. I cannot, just the sheer number of times someone has stolen a home run over there, mm-hmm. um, you know, to me is far greater than any other spot in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's traditionally been the toughest part to homer in the park. Uh, maybe the right center field, but yeah, it, for sure. So, you know, if it drives some excitement and helps out, then great. Um, so a couple of different writers have done uh, analyses of what that would have changed. Uh, in fact, somebody did do a Cabrera one, although it was a little bit more informal, but they they predicted about 25 more home runs in his career. Um, but uh, there would have been approximately 13 additional home runs last year i think it was um seven or eight for the tigers and then opposite uh, but three of them would have been riley green and i i even remember like the last one that he hit where he just raked the ball and they caught it right in front of the fence and you could just see the deflation and um you know three three were him javi had one javi Baez. um a Castro, who remain unnamed, had one, um, and uh, I'm forgetting who the other one was, but you, you get my point. Um, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good on the whole. Um, and that Comerica Park outfield is enormous. When you compare that to other major league outfields, um, which is granted one of the things I liked because you got to have a really athletic outfield to play good defense out there. Um, of which we haven't had. Um, but we'll wait and see what happens. That's really where I sit on it. So with that said, I think that takes us through everything for this time around. Uh, we'll be back on in a few weeks. Obviously, we've got NFL playoffs going on. We'll be creeping up on trade deadlines. Um, Tiger Spring training will be about ready to get started so we'll see if there are any more moves that the tigers are going to make um it's really hoping there'd be one more bat out of them uh but i guess we'll still wait up. and see yeah i'm still hoping yeah um and we'll see where things go from there so we'll, we'll know whether or not ben johnson or aaron glenn take on a new role as well at that point so um which yeah I think there will be daily uh, prayer meetings uh, for uh, both of them to be retained, but we'll see what happens. So, For sure. All right. With that said, that wraps things up for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name is Justin Lee. Be safe, everyone. Stay out of Waffle Houses if you're looking to avoid horses or chairs. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks.